This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by me. Hi, I'm Tim, the creator and facilitator of the New Evangelicals and host of the New Evangelicals podcast. Original, I know. We are a Jesus-centered and inclusive community that holds space for the folks marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and we help people like you leave that cold, dark, and damp basement of evangelical fundamentalism behind to explore the rooms of the Christian tradition together. You can check out our podcast to hear from all kinds of amazing guests who are way smarter than me, and even a few episodes where I get to rant to our podcast producer about how dangerous Christian nationalism is. Ah, good times. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts or slide into our DMs on Instagram at The New Evangelicals. Thanks. If we gnosco God and we if, if we gnosco Christ, it should be the kind of a thing that you would be absolutely incapable of explaining to anybody, but you would be completely capable of experiencing and to me, that's what it means to, quote unquote, know God. It's this experience of God. It's this um, knowing of God in this intimate way that, again, it's not about information. It's about transformation. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, sexuality, spiritual formation, how we got here, and how to move forward post-evangelicalism. Nothing is off-limits in our conversations with scholars, seekers, activists, and writers in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. Welcome to Holy Heretics. Hi, everyone. It's Gary Allen back with another episode of Season 4 here at Holy Heretics. Now, last week we had a political conversation with Christian ethicist Dr. David Gushy, and today we're changing the conversation to discuss Christian mysticism and spiritual formation with author and former pastor Keith Giles. But what is contemplative or mystical Christianity? We hear those words tossed around a lot these days. And how does it differ from growing up in religious certainty or dogmatic faith uh, that many of us experienced in white American evangelicalism? Father Richard Rohr describes the Christian mystic as anyone who places experiencing God personally as their number one priority, as opposed to simply knowing about God in the Bible or through church doctrine and theology. A mystic is simply one who has moved from mere belief or belonging systems to actual inner experiences of the sacred. A mystic sees things in their wholeness, in their connection and union, not through dualism or an us versus them or in versus out perspective. As Rohr also says, if you want to find God, then honor God within you and you will always see God beyond you. For it is only God in you who knows where and how to look for God. So how do we do that? How do we not only find the God who lives within us, but also experience the God who lives far beyond us? Well, to help, we're joined today by author and spiritual director Keith Giles. Keith is a former pastor who left the pulpit to follow Jesus right out the doors of the church. He is the author of several books, including Jesus Unbound, Jesus Untangled, and he is the co-host of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, which has featured interviews with Bart Ehrman, with Roar, with Brad Jersek, Greg Boyd, and so many others. Keith also teaches several online courses, including Square One, from deconstruction to reconstruction. So Keith, welcome to the show. Can you share just a little bit about yourself and your faith journey? Maybe something that's not in your bio. I started like talking to God and having sort of experiences with God technically before I was a Christian, um, before my family. We didn't really go to church when I was real little and, um, you know, didn't read the Bible or anything like that. And so, like, you know, that didn't happen until I was, like, I think 10 or 11 years old. Um, but before that, yeah, I it was just kind of my routine. I would lay in bed at night, and before I fell asleep, I would just kind of, like, 
talk to God and I felt like I had a connection with God. And so it just seemed really natural to me. And I think what led us to church was probably because uh, I was young and I started asking my parents questions about God and about stuff like that. And, and they had no clue because, you know, again, they, they weren't Christians. They didn't go to church and, but they could tell that I was really um, curious. You know, I really wanted some answers to these questions. And uh, I think that's probably one of the reasons why we ended up finally shopping around for some churches and, you know, ended up at a place where it seemed like we got answers that made sense to us at least at the time. And, you know, became Baptists and got baptized and prayed the prayer and the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, that was, I think that's something that most people don't know about me is I was technically a, a Christian before I was a Christian. <laughs> hmm. And did you experience any of the, any of the sort of, I would call kind of normative evangelical fundamentalism? Was there a time when you had to unpack some of those things or did you come into the game so late that you you saved yourself a lot of those kind of traumatic religious experiences? Well, uh, I do think that I was, um, I mean, I definitely had to unpack some stuff. I mean, I went through a pretty serious deconstruction of my faith in my like late 20s, early 30s. But, um, but I do think looking back on it now, and I have some conversations with my mom just even recently about this, I think there were certain things about evangelicalism that I was kind of immune to coming into it where, uh, like, like my mom was saying that you know, she never, ever bought into the idea that she was a wretch and a worm and she was unworthy and all that stuff. Like she, you know, she, we heard that all the time, Yeah. but she says, you know, like she never, never bought into that. And I think, no, I don't think I did either. Um, and, you know, so there was a couple of things like that where, like another thing too is like even though I was kind of raised Southern Baptist and I was I ended up being licensed and ordained Southern Baptist, um, I always believed that like spiritual gifts were possible, right? I mean, you mm -hmm. never we didn't practice them in our in our worship services or anything like that. But I guess because I sort of had a, um, a spiritual connection with God prior to my experience, I you couldn't convince me otherwise that it was possible to have a connection with God, you know, to hear from God and all that kind of stuff. So I was always open to those things, which of course, later on in my life, um, a lot of those things really did kind of connect for me in some pretty profound ways. Mm. I like that kind of hint toward experiencing God pre-Christianity, even experiencing God pre-Bible. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for a lot of us, I grew up in evangelical Christianity, and, and we were told over and over again that the only place you find God is through Scripture. So I want to ask a question about that related to your book titled Sola Mysterium. And in many ways, I'm going to assume that it's a direct counterpoint to that notion of sola scriptura, that we only know God through the Bible. Is that kind of a correct assumption and, and maybe even a better question when it comes to knowing God and experiencing God? How does this notion of sola mysterium connect with that, that pursuit? Yeah, great question. And you're, you're dead on. Exactly right. Um, solo Mysterium is absolutely intended to be a challenge to the idea of Sola Scriptura. Um, yeah. And I think it's because, you know, I spent a lot of time, many, gosh, probably a couple of decades, right? As a evangelical Christian minister, pastor, Bible teacher, um, before I deconstructed a lot of that stuff. And and I spent and also in college, I was really into like apologetics, you know, it was all about sort right. of winning the argument and proving you're right and all that kind of stuff. So I, I definitely went through that phase. But I think as I, after I went through my deconstruction process and everything, I wrote this whole series of books, Jesus Unseries, kind of like one at a time taking these different kind of uh, doctrines like hell and the inerrancy of scripture and penal substitution and all these kind of things, the second coming and all that stuff. Uh, and I, processed that, deconstructed that. And at the end of all that, I was kind of left realizing that that whole approach to God is just completely mm. uh, misguided. Uh, you know, I think in my evangelical experience, I was really programmed to believe that the best way, as you said, the only way to know God, the best way to know God was to know the Bible. And one of the shocking things I figured out was that the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never points us back to the Bible. You know, the Bible doesn't say, 
study the Bible. The Bible doesn't say everything you need to know is in the Bible. What the Bible actually does is points us to the reality that we, every single one of us, can have this direct connection with the divine in, in a very powerful, mystical, mm. ineffable way. And, and of course, that, that aligned with a lot of my experience as well. So, yeah, I, I definitely challenge that notion that the only way we can know God is through the Bible. In fact, I think that notion is probably one of the most anti-Christian <laughs> things I can think of because, well, because think of it this way, like if it's true that the only way anyone could know Christ is by reading what Jesus said or reading, you know, a, a, a the Gospels, which are these narratives about, well, he was born here and he lived this and he did that and he died over here. And, you know, if that's the only way you could know Christ, then how is Christ any different? How is Jesus any different from Mark Twain mm. or Abraham Lincoln? In other words, these are men who lived and died. And the only way I could know Abraham Lincoln, for example, would be to read his speeches, maybe read some some journals that he wrote. Um Maybe read a book that, you know, what people talk about, like maybe things his wife said or his son or some people that worked with him or things like that. Right. And the reason why is that he's dead. Um, right. I, I can't have any connection with Abraham Lincoln because he's dead. <laughs> well, in a way, that's kind of what Christians are saying who want to tell me that the only way to know anything about Jesus is uh, by reading a book about him. Well, then that means it must be because he's dead. If he's if you believe in the resurrection, if you believe that Christ is alive, then um then we can all have that connection because, and, and that, by the way, that is exactly what the New Testament says. That's what the new covenant's all about, right? The whole thing on the new covenant was the, the promise that goes all the way back to the old covenant scriptures where God says, I'm going to do this thing where everyone will know me. No one will say to their neighbor, know the Lord, because everyone can know me, right? It's this, the, the Pentecost thing, the spirit of God is poured out on all flesh and it, and it makes the distinction young and old, you know, men and women, like everyone. Um, it's not, there's no restriction to that. And so anyway, that's been my experience. And, and Solo Mysterium really came about because uh, the other thing that I realized was, it, especially when we talk about evangelicalism, when it's all about getting it right, it's all about having all the right answers about God, right? Um, we have reduced the gospel to having the right information. Yep. And and I just reject that. I don't think the gospel is about information. I think it's about transformation. And I think you can experience that transformation even if you don't have all the information, quote unquote, correct. Um, so, you know, you can't talk about God. That's what theology is, right? It's the discussion of God, the exploration of God, the study of God. Um, you cannot... You cannot start by saying, you know, okay, God, who, what is God? Well, God is this being that transcends all human comprehension, right? God is beyond understanding. And then the next thing you say is, now let me tell you all about him. <laughs> uh, because that's what theology is, right? It's like, no, you're right. wrong about God. Let me tell you about God. God's all about this and that. Well, you just, isn't the assumption that God is beyond comprehension? Mm. So that's why in Solomon Mysterium, I'm saying, no, we don't know anything about God. No one can say anything about God with certainty. We can say what we think. We can say what we hope. We can talk about what we believe. But none of us can talk about God with this level of certainty. Um, or we're just fooling ourselves. So mm. I'm, I'm asking people to embrace the mystery of God. And to me, what I'm engaging when I do that is the actual God, not a God that I've invented, not a God that fits in my book or in my box. Hmm. Would you be willing to share, I know a lot of more uh, contemplative or mystical Christian approaches um, lean heavily into experiences of God, experiences of the divine. And we can point that all the way back to the desert mothers and fathers. We can point that to the medieval mystics who had this intimate connection, this divine union with God that manifested itself in reality. Uh, I've had a, a couple of tiny experiences where I realized, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, something just happened. Something yeah. ineffable and sacred just happened. And and for me, those those moments that are, you know, frankly, few and far between yes. have been far more transformative for me than merely, quote, believing the right things about God or thinking right. the right things about God. And I know that those uh, experiences sometimes get pooped on by the more religious fundamentalist, but they're 
they're real. And, and I yes. think God breaks in. Um, would you be willing to share maybe one of those um, if it's appropriate uh, in, in yeah. terms of just what that might look like when we come face to face with God in this space time universe? Right. Um, I would absolutely be happy to do that. My, I'll be honest, <laughs> my challenge is deciding which one to share. Uh, <laughs> I have a couple. Um, wow. Well, I can say maybe one of the most startling ones that I had. So I was in, again, lived in El Paso, grew up in El Paso. Um, I was going to college at UT El Paso. I was in this Christian band. Um, we'd been, we ended up being together like for five years, but I think at this point we'd only been together like three years or so. Mm. And, um, I was the singer and we were playing one of our uh, concerts. We were playing, I uh, was at an honor camp, which is outside Latuna federal prison. And, um, I rode with our bill, our drummer. Um, and so we're riding in his truck. He's got all of his drum equipment in the back and we're riding up towards the, um, towards the prison mm -hmm. and there's a turnoff. It's a little dirt road. There's no sign or anything. There's a little dirt road about halfway down the road that you're supposed to take to go to the honor camp, but we missed it. So we ended up going all the way up to the prison and it was like hard to turn around. It was like, Oh, what are we doing here? And anyway, we went back, we found the right turn. We, we went down the, went down the road, little dirt road, found the honor camp. I uh, help him unload his stuff. And then he's setting it up. And, and at the, that point I'm, I got nothing to do, right? I'm bored. We're, mm -hmm. we're there like an hour early. But I know that my my other bandmates um, are going to come down the same road, and I know they're going to miss the turn just like we did. <laughs> so to kind of spare them that, you know, I'm like, well, I got nothing else. I'm just going to walk down this dirt road, down over here to the crossroad, um, where those two roads converge, and stand there so that when they come up, I can wave them down, and they won't miss the turn. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking down the road, and as I'm walking down the road, you know, I'm just kind of like talking to God. I'm like, you know, hey, God, I hope everything goes great. You know, I hope everyone gets here in time. hope the show goes well, blah, blah, blah. And it was literally like I walked into a brick wall. I can't, I can't describe it any other way. It was literally like something or like a hand hmm. just hit my chest, and I stopped dead in my tracks. Now, I'm about, I'm about halfway down this dirt road. I'm standing in the middle of nowhere, right? And I feel like an idiot, but I'm like... I really, really, I mean, I almost physically felt like I bumped into something, but I just knew hmm. I should not move. So I'm kind of standing there like an idiot. I'm like, okay, God, um, I'm going to stand here. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I'm not at the road. I can see, I mean, I'm still like, you know, another 70 yards from where I need to be. They're, gonna, they're not going to see me. Why am I in the road? But I just really, really had this strong sense of like, don't move. Hmm. I must've stood there for probably five, at least five minutes. I mean, it felt like forever, but five minutes when you're not doing anything feels like a long time. But I stood there, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes. And then I see a truck coming down from the, um, from the prison, comes down the, the main road, makes a turn at, at the turn and comes towards me. Mm -hmm. And then as the truck gets closer, I realize it's the chaplain that invited us to play, um, you know, the show. Mm -hmm. So I'll wave at him. And he pulls up, he stops, he gets out and he's really mad. And he, he gets out and he's like, what are you doing? So I tell him what I'm doing. Like, oh, you know, I didn't want my friends to miss the turn. He goes, he goes, do you see that guard tower behind me? So I look up. Yep. There's a big guard tower up there. And he goes, there's a guy in that tower with a scope and a rifle. And he's got your head in the, in the crosshairs. And he's on the radio asking for permission to fire. Oh go, my goodness. What? Yeah. And I'm like, What? And he goes, well, then we just did a bed check and there's a prisoner missing. So the entire prison is on alert. So, <laughs> so, you know, that means everybody. So all the guards in the guard towers are scanning, looking for anyone moving towards the exit. And there you are. So wow. I, I just look at him and I go, well, I guess that's why God told me to stop walking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I get in his car, we drive back. So, I mean, that was a that was one of the most profound experiences because it almost was like a life and death thing. Right. And, um, and it was so, I mean, I couldn't deny it. It was like, Oh my gosh, what I'd never, never before or since had anything that, um, really it felt like a physical force mm -hmm. was holding me back. Wow. So that's one example. Um, that's not like super profound. I didn't hear any, anything other than stop. Um, right. But it was important. 
something similar happened to me, gosh, decades ago. My wife and I were engaged and we had spent the summer apart. Um, I was in Arkansas. She was in Indiana. And we were coming back to college like the next day. And of course, this is, you know, pre-internet, pre-cell phone. Yeah. And um, we had talked a, about a week earlier and we can't wait to see you. You know, I hadn't seen each other in three months and looking forward to reuniting. And on her way back to college, uh, she stopped at a friend's house. And of course, I have I don't know any of this, but that night before I was uh, to to head off to school and see her the next day, it was probably one in the morning, and I was suddenly just awoken by what I can only describe as is the feeling of of someone shaking me, and Ooh. someone like audibly saying, and I didn't hear it, but it was pray for Jennifer right now. She is in mm. trouble. Mm. And I don't know what's going on. I dismissed it. I tried to go back to sleep. And it was again, like this, this palpable shaking, wake Oof. up and pray for her. She's in danger. And so I, I just said, okay, well, I, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. And so I, it, it wouldn't let me go to sleep. I did it for about three hours, just praying, 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 praying. Uh, next morning, I woke up and I, I called her parents because that's the only number I had. That I knew where she was, you know, or I didn't know where she was and I'm just trying to find her. And right. they're like, well, you know, she's in Indiana at Tammy's house. Maybe you can call there. Here's the number. Um, I call. She picks up the phone and I she immediately said, what, why are you calling? And I said, you're in trouble. Aren't you were in trouble last night, weren't you? And she's like, how did you know? Well, and she immediately begins to tell me that she was with her friend and they were at a party and, and this person tried to rape her and mm. she was at, in a state of, of complete victimization. And thankfully nothing, nothing serious happened. Wow. Um, but I, you know, that that moment has stuck with me since, gosh, that was 1994. And I can I can remember that as if it was yesterday. And yeah. and I feel like that those are those moments that move you from unbelief to belief right. in a way that thinking the right things will will, will simply never do. Right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are so great. I mean, I, I've had, you know, I've, I have had those experiences and I think honestly for me, it's the, it's the thing that I think helped me through my deconstruction. I think it made my deconstruction process a little, um, a little easier maybe because I've talked to a lot of Christians who don't have these kinds of experiences, right? They're like, Hey, I've never heard the voice of God. I've never had mm -hmm. any kind of experience like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I feel a little, um, fortunate that I, because I've had so, so many of these kinds of experiences in my past, you know, when I was doubting my theology, when I was doubting, um, my religion, I didn't, you know, it was like these, these experiences made it so that I, I whatever I, I just can't let go of Jesus. I can't let go of God. Mm -hmm. Um, because it has been so real to me and I've had these, these experiences are so undeniable. Um, it would really grounded me in my connection with God. And I'm really grateful for that. So I want to talk a little bit about what you mentioned earlier from this notion of, of pursuing God from an intellectual perspective mm -hmm. and the assumption that we know God through our brains, through maybe running in a totally opposite direction of unknowing or that sort of apophatic tradition. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about what it looks like to kind of cease with the apologetics approach or cease with the belief-based approach toward God and turn toward maybe letting go or unknowing. Um, mm. why, why is unknowing a potentially more transformative path toward God than maybe, quote, knowing God? Yeah. The nuance to, to answering that question, I guess, would be um, I came to a place where I recognized that trying to know God in this informational way, like trying to have all the right information about God, trying to understand God, you know, to, to draw God or map God, or, you know, again, these are all attempts to kind of put God into a manageable form. Mm -hmm. um, when I realized that that was really impossible and that, that was the wrong way to go, 
um, I I came across something and it, and it really, really changed everything for me about the way I think about approach um, connecting with God and quote unquote, knowing God. Hmm. And in a way it is unknowing because what I'm saying is it's, it, it kind of comes down to the way we define knowing. Um, you know, in the English language, we just have this word for no, right? Do you, do you know uh, the answer to the question? Do you know, you know, can you, can you answer the trivia, whatever? Like you have the knowledge, right? Um, but there's another way of knowing. And in the Greek, um, those are distinct. And I came across a verse. I talk about this in Solomon's Mysterium. Uh, I came across this verse in John where Jesus says, the eternal life is to know God and his son whom he sent. And, you know, growing up, I think I just assumed because it says that the only way, you know, the, the way to know eternal life is to know God, that, that what the, he meant was that you had to know, you had to study, you had to have the information, you had to understand the doctrines, you had to at least have some grasp on the Trinity and all this kind of stuff, right? But then, you know, look into the Greek, and that is not the word that Jesus uses. Um, mm. there's, so there's two words. There's, there's a word, episteme. And, and if Jesus had used the word episteme, if Jesus said eternal life is to episteme God and his son, then, that, then that's what he would have meant. He would have meant, well, then you didn't know all the right information. But he didn't use that word. Um, the word that he uses is gnosko. And that kind of knowing is the same kind of word you would use when you would talk about how a husband would know his wife and she would conceive new life within her. Hmm. Now that knowing the way, the way you know your wife is not to be able to answer trivia questions about her, <laughs> uh, not in the Gnosko sense, right? It's an, it is a deep intimacy. Hmm. And so, like I say in the book, it was the realization that if we Gnosko God and we, if we Gnosko Christ, um, it should be the kind of a thing that you would be absolutely incapable of explaining to anybody, mm. but you would be at, but you would be completely capable of experiencing. And to me, that's what it means um, to quote unquote know God. It's this experience of God. It's this um, knowing of God in this intimate way. That again, it's not about information. It's about mm. transformation. Transformation is that. As the result of that gnosko, as the result of that knowing, that intimacy with God and with Christ, um, it begins to conceive something, a new life within us. And that's that trash transformational aspect. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Um, and so I think it also means, I think it's also the reason why Jesus is continually urging his disciples and, and also us to become like little children again. Um, little children, you know, are not marked by their wisdom, that they know everything, right? This is why Jesus tells um, uh, the Pharisee, right, you must be born again. And he says, what, I have to go back into my mother's womb? And what Jesus <laughs> means is, no, you need to unknow everything you think you know about God. You need to start over again and be a blank slate, be a mm -hmm. little baby, you know. And then the thing about children is, they don't have all the information, but what they do have is an incredible sense of wonder, right? Mm. They're constantly asking questions. And if we look at Jesus, what is he doing? The same thing. He doesn't answer questions. He'll give you another question, maybe two or three more questions that he also won't answer. Um, and so we're being invited into a Gnosko intimate relationship with God that is not about answers, it is about exploring the questions mm. and being amazed and awed by the wonder of God. Um, and I think that's really what it's all about. At least for me, that's what I've become convinced um, now anyway, that that's, that's to me what true spirituality is. It's, it's embracing that sense of wonder or unknowing mm. um, and continuing to ask questions and being okay with saying, I don't know the answers, but that's okay. I don't need to, right? I, Paul even says that we can't. You know, he talks about how in Ephesians, he talks about how the love of God is higher and wider and longer and deeper than the human mind can possibly understand. He even says that it transcends knowledge. It transcends episteme. It goes beyond your ability to calculate or to define. 
Yet, at the same time, he's convinced that you and I can know it. We can experience it. Um, I think that's really what it's all about. It kind of reminds me, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but I think it's from Thomas Aquinas who said, we know God truly when we believe that God is far beyond all that we can possibly think of God. And I I feel like that that's sort of captured in that story, and I think it's 1 Kings where um, the prophet Elijah, you know, goes out on the mountaintop and the Lord says, you know, I'm going to pass by. And he goes out and, you know, there's an earthquake and then there's a fire. Um, but, you know, God wasn't found in the earthquake or the wind or the fire that, that God was, was experienced through just this still small voice or this gentle yeah. whisper and almost the opposite that, that God can be mostly experienced in, in, in silence, maybe in symbols that exist beyond words or, or even through that notion of just setting aside our intellect and waiting on just the mystery of God that, that tends to come to us sort of, you know, couched and veiled in, in darkness and, and misunderstanding, which, (laughs) you know, I think can be really, um, it can kind of knock you off your horse because I I do think that even those of us in the deconstruction community feel like we we know God you know we yeah. we know a different God maybe than evangelicals do but but it's still very reliant upon the intellect and yes. and not necessarily reliant upon this humility that that we're seeking something that is far beyond anything that that words or the intellect could even even capture so that's right. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of St. Augustine, but I do quote him <laughs> in Subtle Mysterium. Uh, he said, if you understand it, it's not God. Mm-hmm. And um, I agree with him, at least on that point, that it's true. That um, Here's the thing, though, about it, too, though, is that um, there is this tension, you know, and I think the part of the problem for us as human beings is that we are sort of, we are wired to seek the mystery, you know, like, mm-hmm. so... We're all drawn into the mystery, right? We all, we, it intrigues us, it, it compels us. And so we love mystery, but, but part of our human nature, unfortunately, is we are not usually satisfied until we get the answers. I want to know the answer, right? Mm, We're not, we're not comfortable with that ambiguity. And I think in theology, this is kind of where we as human beings have gotten into trouble is because Whereas the, it, it's the good thing, it's the right thing for us to be drawn into that sense of awe and wonder when it comes to God. The problem is we are too quick to come up with an answer and settle on it. Like, okay, this is it. We got the answer. Yeah. And, yeah. and now I can move on. Um, and what God wants is like, no, you can never move on. What do you mean? You know, that you've never come to the end of it. It will always be, the more you, the more you press into quote, you know, knowing God in this Gnosko experiential way, there will always be another layer. There'll always be another unfolding and another another unveiling, and but that requires us to live in this in the tension between our intense curiosity and our increasing desire to have an to have the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, I, I think it's a spiritual discipline that we need to adopt and, and learn to practice. Is how can we how can we live in that tension between? the curiosity and the wonder and needing the, have the answers. Mm. Um, I think that's probably one of the most difficult and challenging things for us uh, yeah. to, to learn how to do. So you have used the T word, uh, I think four or five times now, <laughs> transformation. Yes. And that is a word that my spiritual director, uh, Father Brendan Williams, has used with with me for the last several years in terms of the end goal of this spiritual journey yeah. is to be transformed. Yes. Um, it's a radically different word than being saved. What yes. What does that mean to you to be transformed? Um, wow. Well, I think I would say the, the being transformed is, um, the, the process of becoming more like Christ. Um, Mm. but I think I'm beginning to realize that, uh, lately, 
I'm I'm starting to, you know, I've been rethinking my connection with Christ and my relationship with Christ. My my most recent book, Soledadios, I really dive into this. Like, um, you know, I think, I used to think conceptually of sort of like, I'm down here and God is up there, you know, Mm -hmm. and that there is some sort of a spatial you know, separation or distance between myself and God. Um, but more and more, I've been, I'm, I'm changing my mind on that. And I'm beginning to think that I think the reality is that Christ really is in me. Mm. And so, you know, God isn't up there. Christ isn't far away. That Christ is as near to me as my own heartbeat, my own breathing. And, and so then as part of my transformational experience, I think it's, for me, anyway, lately, it's becoming more and more about recognizing that um, that the depth of that connection, and um, that there is no separation between me and Christ. And that's a hard one. That's a difficult one to wrap my my brain around. It's a new way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think the more I'm able to do that, and it will, it's more like. I don't want to say do that because it sounds like I'm doing something. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm really doing anything. I feel like it's more like I'm just I'm relaxing. I'm letting go. I'm not trying to drive it or steer it. You know, no one transforms themselves. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not driving this transformation process. I'm sort of relaxing into it and allowing the spirit of God or the, or, or Christ within me to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think ultimately I would say it's becoming more loving, more kind. Uh, and that, that seems to be a, the byproduct of, of recognizing that um, my personal individual oneness and connection with Christ has to also take into consideration the oneness with Christ that you have and mm-hmm. every, everyone else has. Because if everyone has the same sort of oneness and connection with Christ— then in the same way that I might have difficulty um, understanding that connection between myself or the oneness of myself and Christ, I have to also now contend with, well, if you're in here with us, <laughs> if other people are in here with us, like then everyone is connected to Christ. So then that means I'm connected to everyone as well. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's really profound. That's something that I'm like, I've been studying the gospel of Thomas, I'm writing a, I'm writing a, uh, publishing a volume, uh, the first half of it, volume one, the first half of uh, like a commentary on the sayings of Thomas and exploring really how all the sayings of, of Jesus from, from Thomas are kind of all talking about this exact thing right. about our connection with God and with one another. Yeah. I, I was introduced to the gospel of Com- Thomas about two years ago and it is a fascinating look. And it's also real incredibly confusing. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't recommend just the average person pick it up and start reading it because no, your, no, no. your head's going to explode. You're going <laughs> to go into all kind of weird directions and you really do need a, a mentor, a scholar, uh, some kind of esoteric, um, yeah. spiritual director to help you unpack this book. Cause it's, it can be nuts. It, it oh, really can be. Oh, um, yeah. But but you're right. It it points us to and introduces us to a Jesus that that looks a little bit different. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But is yep. telling us like, hey guys, here's the big secret. I'm no different than you. You're no that's different right. than me. Yep. And uh, that's a little bit. Um, heretical to you know i don't know everyone and (laughs) and can 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 you maybe talk a little bit about that because you quote in your book 13th century persian poet and sufi mystic rumi who sounds a lot like the jesus we meet in the gospel of thomas Mm -hmm. Uh, he said i searched for god and i found only myself i searched for myself and found only god yeah well that i mean what does that even mean (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh well like you said um yeah this is this is a radical way of different way of thinking from the way i was raised but um yeah this is exactly what jesus is is wanting us to understand in, in the sayings of thomas and uh yeah like you said very similar to what rumi is saying there um again it's it's recognizing that 
the things that Jesus says, uh, I, I personally think that these ideas actually were early Christian ideas. Uh, mm. I think that's, mm-hmm. I, I personally am, I, I think that the sayings of Jesus from Thomas, um, I agree with about half of the scholars who would date the original uh, composition of the sayings of Jesus uh, from Thomas, um, somewhere between the time that the Gospel of Mark was written and the Gospel of John was written, yeah. probably maybe even before Matthew and Luke were written. Right. Um, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. But so I do think this is actually an early Christian idea. And I think you see it reflected in the ways that Jesus does talk in Matthew and and in, in John, um, even some of the things that Paul says in his first letter, Galatians, all the way to um, Ephesians and Colossians, which really unpack these ideas, like um, like when Paul says in Ephesians one, he says that you know we are filled with the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. Mm. Um, so yeah, to me, I mean, this like going back to the Rumi quote: "I searched for God, I found myself. I searched for myself, I found God." It's recognizing I was saying earlier this this intrinsic oneness between us and God, between the the Christ and us. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, it goes to, I think it's something really profound when Jesus says, uh, he says this in the gospel of John, he says, you know, in that day you will know. So he's kind of setting up, he's saying to the disciples, look, I know you don't get this now, but one day you're going to get this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then he says, you know, in that day you will know. And then he says this, that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. And I think um, Orthodox Christian theology has taken, has, has interpreted that and and taught that as Jesus is saying this about himself, but it's only true of him. Right, right. right. This is unique, right. And so I think what Thomas is, is suggesting is that what Jesus really means there is he's saying to his disciples, guys, one day you're going to have this same epiphany that I just had. And here mm. it is. One day you're going to be able to say, I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. Meaning mm-hmm. there is a oneness between you and God, and there's a oneness between you and other people, right? And that well, that oneness is complete. Um, I think that really is something, again, an early Christian idea, and I think it's a radical idea, but I think it's um, it's it's the thing that we're, if, if we can truly wrap our brains around that, like if we can really, really embrace and and live out of that reality. I am one with Christ and Christ is in me and in everyone else and everyone else has the same connection and oneness with Christ that I do. Then guess what? That makes it possible for me to, to do what Jesus says when he says, bless those who curse you, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, um, put down your sword. It's because when I see another person, I see myself and I see Christ. Right. So I can't, I can't do violence to Christ. I can't do violence to myself. I can't allow that, that human being that I'm looking at who I see Christ in and I see myself in to be hungry, to go without shelter or food or clothing or whatever, you know? So, um, it, it, it'll, it empowers us to actually take the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and begin to really live them out because we are absolutely convinced that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you, right? Mm. And that's a radical way of thinking. And I do know a lot of people are freaking out <laughs> right now, like, <laughs> man, that's so heretical. But it, well, it is when it comes to like orthodox theology and doctrine. I would, I, I would say it's actually not uh, heretical when, if you really just look at the things that Jesus says, the things that Paul says, um, the things that John says in First John. And, um, and again, the things of Jesus from Thomas. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like transformation to me. Yes. It, it sounds like that there is an entire metamorphosis of my identity of being individual and egoic and uh, separated and distinct. Yes. And in turn, I now, I now see the rea- reality that all is one. Everything yep. is unified. And when I make war against you, I'm making war against myself and God. And that's right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. And, and yes. I feel like it's pretty biblical, although, you know, we've gone in a little bit of a different direction. So I want to, yes. I want to kind of close by 
by asking a question about a potential new path of spirituality. And most of us, again, in the deconstruction or the evangelical community, we've set aside one path that we found wanting or potentially maybe we got to the end of and realized we, we had climbed up the wrong ladder. Yes. Um, and, and, and now we're looking for something else. Um, and I think everyone needs a container. They need a road. They need um, a way toward God. It's not just a willy-nilly, yeah, yeah. I'm going to kind of do my own thing. Um, and it feels like that one of the opportunities for all of us is to pursue this more contemplative, mystical approach toward God, as opposed to maybe what we've experienced up up until now. So yeah. I want to I want to um, kind of read a quote from you from German Jesuit priest and author Karl Rahner, and then maybe allow you to um, respond to that quote as it relates to a potential new path for all of us. Yes. Uh, several years ago, I know you know the quote. Rahner said, "The Christian of the future will either be a mystic or will not exist." at all. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe first question, one, do you believe, Ronner? And and two, is this mystical path um, an opportunity for, for those of us who maybe grew up in a more belief-based Christianity to pursue something new and maybe even more powerful and transformative? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, yes, I absolutely agree with Ronner's quote there. I think it's a great quote. Um, and you know, it's really interesting. So I'm like about four years ago, I started this um, online course and community called Square One to, because at the time I couldn't find anything out there that was specifically designed to help people kind of take, take them by the hand and walk them through their deconstruction process and help them figure out what reconstruction looks like for them. Right. Mm. And not mm -hmm. that I know what it is, but I want to help them find their own, you know, thing. Cause I realize it's different for everybody. Yep. And um, so as Putting that together, and I've been doing this now for like four years, um, near the end of that, uh, I think it's like week nine or 10 out of a 12-week, uh, you know, journey that we go on. It's like I think it's like a week, yeah, nine or 10. Um, what I do is I, I ask everybody in the group, I give them a range of possible things um, that they can try. And I, I ask them to, you know, try three or four of these things during the week and just kind of report back and see what works and what doesn't. And, and what I'm doing this, why I'm doing this is because, um, first of all, I realize like everyone's different. And, um, but as we've deconstructed, like you said, we've stopped doing a lot of things, right? I mean, like, so you deconstruct your evangelical Christian faith. So you don't go to church on Sunday. You don't go to the mm -hmm. men's Bible study. Right. You don't go to right. the women's prayer meeting. You don't go... Um, you know, there's all things you don't do anymore. You're probably not reading the Bible anymore. Right, I mean, you don't read the Bible you know, anymore. Let's yes. just be honest. Yeah, you're not having your quiet time, right? You know, whatever. So, so you just stopped doing a lot of things, and I think that's okay because most of those things, at least for me, were things I was just doing because someone told me I was supposed to. I'm checking the boxes, but it didn't really, it never really fed my spirit or my soul. It was just like I, I felt like I had to do it because the, you know you're supposed to do this. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, so there's a whole list of things now you don't do anymore. But what have you replaced that with? Like, what are you doing? And the the great thing, this is the beautiful opportunity in the reconstruction, moving into reconstruction, is that you get to pick. No one tells you you've got to have a quiet time. You've got to go to the Bible study. Well, great. So what what works for you? And so again, so I, I just give people a range of things because again, we're all different. So like what works for me may not work for someone else. Like for me, um, meditation, um, mm -hmm. gratitude, uh, I take walks quite often and just, it's sort of a gratitude walk for me and it's a beautiful thing, but I also love music. I love watching movies. I love seeing truth and profound, you know, um, ideas in, in film and, you know, but the, so that those are some of the things that work for me. But other people might realize it's gardening um, mm -hmm. or it's just spending time in nature or it's playing guitar uh, or painting or um, some people have said like it's um, getting into comedy and listening to comedians and just laughing about things and, and, and that's setting them free. And that's that's helping them kind of experience some freedom and connection with God. So there's a, there's just a wide, wide, wide range of possibilities. And, and for other people, it is meditation. It is um, solitude, solitude or whatever. Um, I just encourage anyone listening to this that it's kind of wide open. And, mm. you know, what I, what I encourage people to do is, you know, try something and, and just see, hey, 
does this work? Like, wow, I really felt connection with God. This really made me feel um, something really profound, right? Uh, then great, then keep doing that. And if you try it and it doesn't, then great. Scratch it off the list, never do it again. Um, <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I, again, I just I encourage people to, to, to create their own spiritual practices and to do that on the basis of does it does it really connect with you? Other people would say it's serving, right? Like volunteering at a, at a homeless shelter or a food bank or something, um, you know, serving other people. It makes or, or going to a nursing home or spending time with Alzheimer's patients or something like that. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it's going to be different for everybody. So I don't want to impose that on anybody, but I do want to encourage um, your listeners and, and anyone going through this, this process, moving towards this mysticism, that I think it can take a lot of different forms and to be okay with that. You know, you don't have to justify yourself to anybody. I love that. I love that. Well, I knew this was going to be a good conversation and it exceeded my expectations. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for helping us uh, look toward um, unknowing rather than knowing, helping us to understand that part of the path toward God is a, a bodily experience and a mystical experience of the divine that often um, can't be even defined by words or especially by words written in, in the text. For for some of our listeners that are new either uh, to you and your work and or just new to contemplative or mystical Christianity, where can they find more about your uh, writing and or your teaching where they can be connected and continue on their journey? Yeah. Um, well, my books, um, Solo Mysterium, Solo Deus, uh, are on Amazon. Uh, they're on Kindle and Audible. I think the Solo Deus will be on Audible very soon. Um, yeah, so my books are on Amazon and uh, my course, Square One. Um, you can find out about that. I think it, just contact me on social media. You can go to my blog, which is keithgiles.com. That's where I blog on Pathios. But I'm also um, active on Instagram and uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can connect with me there. I think I'm even on threads and <laughs> I don't go there very often, but I'm on there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm happy to connect with people, um, answer questions, you know, uh, encourage people any way I can. Uh, I love being able to help people kind of get away from toxic theology. That's all about fear and shame and guilt and kind of set them free to experience God, uh, a God who really is love and mercy and kindness and compassion. Mm. Um, I think that's that's what God is really all about and what, you know, that, to me, that's what true mysticism and spirituality really is. Mm. Well, Keith, thanks so much. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Yeah, same here. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society and written by Gary Allen Taylor. Music is by Faith and Foxholes. If you need more resources to guide your spiritual journey, head to sophiasociety.org for articles, resources, and our free ebook on faith deconstruction. And before we go, will you consider joining us on Patreon? Your partnership allows us to continue creating this sacred space for seekers like you. By becoming a patron, you gain early access to each podcast episode, as well as premium content and an exclusive invitation to join our monthly online community. Simply sign up at patreon.com slash holyheretics. See you next time.